0: Denise Whiteley is back for part three of our series on helping you to set up, to market and to launch your online course. There are tons of people right now creating income from their subject matter expertise. And I would imagine that as a trainer, if you're or have developed expertise in your area, sales, resilience, leadership, management training, IT training, language training, Whatever that is, why not put that into a product? And if you're in the process of planning, designing, or specifically just about to launch your course, then Denise's topic today is going to help. Remember to check out the other two episodes in this three-part series. So grab a pen and let's go. This is episode 108 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey! And welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com
1: podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes.
0: Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business podcast. And it's my pleasure to welcome you back for another episode of the show. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants just like you and me all around the world. And the goal of this episode and every episode of the show is simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. And for that reason, we have sometimes guests on the show, which is the case today, or on other occasions, it's just you and I where we take a particular topic and we spend approximately 35 minutes or less going through that topic. And Denise Whiteley is back again today. The subject is launching your course. And it's all about things like email sequences, tracking, split testing, and much, much more. Creating courses right now, of course, is big business. Given where we are with COVID, people are working remotely and, of course, consuming content remotely, creating courses remotely. And I was reminded of this last week when I bought a ticket to the three-day Share What You Know online summit from Teachable. Teachable, of course, is one of the well-known training, online training course creation platforms out there, I'm thinking of things like Thinkific or Kajabi, there are other ones I know, but Teachable is one that comes recommended for many people. I'm not recommending it because I've only used it once for one course, but I'd encourage you to look around. The thrust of what I'm saying is that there is lots of content out there to help you with online course creation, design, marketing and launching. And that online summit was $29 for roughly 40 plus workshops. Some excellent talks from excellent people having gone through the process of creating a course, marketing a course, and of course selling that course to people like you and me. And I quite happily signed up for that online summit and found value in a lot of what people said. Now, not all of the talks are relevant to me or to you perhaps, but uh, If you keep an eye out for online summits or for special offers, you'll find there's lots of information out there beyond this podcast to help you with the concept and the process of creating courses. And of course, that's what many people that I talk to are really keen to learn about right now because this is a great way to bring in extra income. Denise, hi, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, Mark. So nice to be here again. I'm really excited about this.
0: Yes, yeah, your third time, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so we haven't gotten sick of you. Quite the opposite. Uh, <laughs> there have been comments coming in from people saying, really, really helpful, very practical, logical. So today, we mean to continue that. And the topic of today's conversation is the launch process. So in whatever episode it was, we talked about setting up an online course. And then we had you back to talk about marketing the online course. And today, we're going to launch the course. Now, people might say, well, shouldn't marketing come before launching? Not necessarily. Why, why do you think the launch process can come after marketing? Why is marketing necessary, first of all, before the launch process?
1: Marketing is going to sell the course, but the, you need to lay out the launch process. You need to lay out the dates so that you know what to market and when. So, for instance, if you're doing, it's not an evergreen launch, it's an open cart, like guess, a specific open cart date and specific close cart date, which is usually about seven days. You want to lay out those dates, like pick those dates and then work backwards. You want to reverse engineer it so that you know, okay, this is the date the cart opens. Um, and this is what I need to to give my audience before, like to the content to create before open cart. So you warm your audience up and then you you know, you do your softer sell and then you do your really hard sell. So you know what, when you're doing what, when.
0: So we're really marketing before the course launches. We're marketing whilst the course is launching. And of course we're marketing post launch. So we're never really, we never really stop marketing. And you've used two terms just now, the idea of closed cart and evergreen. So evergreen for people listening is the concept of having the course available to purchase all the time, 24-7, which of course is the advantage of having a product online for sale. And the concept of closed cart is what I suppose people like is it Jeff Walker would, would advocate, which is the idea that you have a finite time, a window within which the course is open, after which people have to be notified or request to be notified when the course opens next.
1: Exactly. So there's two you're always building an asset. When you create an online course, you're actually creating an, an asset for your business that can be used over and over again. And um, when you do an evergreen launch, it's there 24 seven. And there's n- basically, there's no touch with you, or there's maybe a one or two month monthly group coaching calls where you just have like a question and answer period. So um, that's one way to do it. But when you launch like two or three times a year, then you have a specific date when the course starts, a specific date when it ends, and you're working with the same group of students that have bought this cohort of the course. So, you get to know them a little bit better and, you know, their questions and their, like, what they're struggling with. So, you can always, you know, revisit, okay, how can I improve the course or how can I, like, each time you launch. And it's, then you have, like, financially, you have, like, two or three really big months that carry you through the year, you know, besides your other services. So where evergreen, you know, it just happens, you know, monthly, you're selling however many you sell per month.
0: So two two questions pop into my mind in response to what you've said. How does someone listening to this know, should I go down the road of having an evergreen course? Or should I just have a course open between this date and then close the, the cart on that date so people can't buy, buy outside of those dates? How does someone know which to go with initially?
1: I think you start with a open cart, close cart the first time you do it. The first time you launch a course, it should be specific. It starts this date, the cart opens this date, the cart closes this date, the course is the next six to eight weeks, and then you're done. Then you revisit and look at everything that happened, what worked, what didn't work. And then when you launch again, you launch a second time, again, you do the, the finite dates and then after that is when you can start looking at that course being evergreen.
0: Okay. And the second question that pops into my mind is, if people are thinking, okay, close cart, open cart, and you mentioned the fact that you could do this three times a year, is there a magic number or a suggested number? How often or what's what's the cadence with which a course should be sold a number of times a year? Some people say, I've heard people say two, at least two others say maximum four. What What's the number in your mind?
1: I have one client who has, she's a health coach and she's a well-known health coach. In New York City, there's um, an institute for health coaches where they learn she's a teacher there. So she's well-known and she has three courses and she launches a total of five times per year. So the one course is to heal your thyroid. That launches twice a year. The second course is to help health coaches become better health coaches. And then she has a master health coaching course. And they, um, they, the second one launches two times a year and the master coaching launches one time a year so that's you, you have that that cyclic pattern so even if you have just one course like two times a year like if you're just starting out like two times a year is good and then maybe you can go to three to four times the big marketers uh, like jeff walker he has he launches twice a year but he has a huge list and he he like his launches are seven figures so it's it, what it depends on what you want your revenue goals to be, and how well you're marketing, how how well you're, how often you're keeping in touch with your audience. So the more you keep in touch with the audience, the more likely you have people to buy. So you just have, and you're constantly growing your list, so you have more people to buy. And so a two to four, like that's I didn't know that to be honest with you, but it's usually about two two times that the people I've worked with that we launch per year.
0: Okay. So coming back to your launch process, the one you work with or through with clients, first of all, the layout dates of what happens when. Let's let's help people here with laying out a kind of a calendar for them so they understand what has to be done when and how far apart. So every time
1: somebody calls me up and says I need help with the launch, they're saying I want to launch next month, and I'm just thinking in my head, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, when you decide the open cart date, you have to think about like the seven to ten days before that, because that's when you're really warming up your audience, and you have to get all the tech set up for everything. And then the like two to four weeks before that is when you have to like start really like. That's the warm up your audience part. And then there's seven to ten days before the open cart. That's more of of soft sell. This is coming. You know, you want to sign up for this. That's when you do your like your free webinar or your free series of emails um, in there so that you you're leading up to the open cart date. So let's just step back for a minute. So about two months before your open cart date is when you start t- talking to your audience, not saying that I'm gonna. I'm going to, I'm offering a course in 2 months but you start talking about the different topics in your course so that you're really generating interest in from your audience. I really like what she's saying because this is the problem I have now. And then you start kind of providing just that hint of a solution and then each time you, you know you give a little bit more information so by the time you hit 7 to 10 days before your open cart they're really hungry for it. Your audience is really hungry for it and you have those two months, like if you're running paid ads, you need at least two months to really build up the correct audience. Now, I'm not an expert in running Facebook ads, so I'll just use Facebook ads. But there's tech stuff like the Facebook pixel that's on your website, and it's gathering all lot of data. You need at least, at least two months. Um, like I put a Facebook pixel on all my clients' websites right away from when we start working so that you're gathering data. So when, like if you're running ads, so you, you need all that time ahead of time, because you're always going to need to be building your list. So you always have new people coming in that will buy the course. So to, you do all this marketing ahead of time, and you kind of have a strategy towards it. And you're talking about what's going to happen, like what you're going to teach in the course. So then by the time the course launches, they're ready to buy. But you're also building your list at the same time. And you're, wait, I lost my train of thought there we're doing that stuff. We're running the paid. If, if you're doing paid ads, you're running paid ads. Um, if you're speaking, if you're doing organic list growth, like if you're speaking or um, like putting out your different call, calls to action, like your different lead magnets, you're finding out what's working, what's not working. So you're just always building your list and keeping them, you know, engaged.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned something there, which some people may not um, understand, and that's the concept of the Facebook pixel. Let me just give you, let me have a go at this. My, my understanding of the Facebook pixel is it's a line of code, which goes typically in the header part of your HTML code on your website, which is the, the language that runs every web page. And when you, when someone loads your website, this is communicating back to Facebook, um, who, almost who you are, or rather... It's, it's telling Facebook that you're on that person's site. Does it do more than, than, than just that?
1: What it does is it tells Facebook who from Facebook goes to your website. So if you're posting those calls calls to actions, like if you've created a lead magnet and you put a post about that on your page, like your business page or your personal page, and somebody goes from Facebook to your website, then it, it knows that that's a warm lead for you. So that's what they're keeping track of. So when you go to build the audience... What people that run Facebook ads, they're trying to build the warmest audience, excuse me, they're trying to build the warmest audience for you because a warm audience is going to convert. So, um, you have to, you have to have a business page to do Facebook ads.
0: Right. So again, that's a great point that some people might think, well, my Facebook profile, that's not something I can use. And you're right. Facebook pages and Facebook personal, um, profiles, they're different things. And they're actually different apps. So if you're running Facebook ads, you'd have a different app. I think it's called Facebook Page Manager. And that's on your phone, not just the normal Facebook app.
1: I've never... It's Business Manager, I think. I've been it on my desktop, but not on my phone. That's interesting. Yeah, I've had it on my phone.
0: It's an orange kind of app, at least the last time I had it. And uh, someone said to me... In fact, it was an author of of a book who tells people how to create Facebook ads. And he said, the first thing I do is I... I ever did was, was to load and then delete the Facebook app and to keep the Facebook business page manager app on my phone. So that's ironic. There's someone who espouses the value of Facebook, but does not use Facebook as most of us do. The app that he uses is the app that helps him to run his Facebook business or rather his business through Facebook ads. Um, so the next thing, of course, is the webinar schedule. Now we touched upon webinars, a few weeks ago, a webinar effectively is a, a web or online seminar, and it's it's a it's a chance for you to communicate to people. It could again be pre-recorded, evergreen, or it could be live through platforms like um, uh, what comes to mind: Zoom, obviously. Go to webinar. Go to webinar, right? And there are a couple of other ones like Webinar Jam, which have emerged recently how many webinars should one run how long should they be and how do you market them as part of the launch process
1: so usually what a webinar does is it's it's a free teaching about like a half an hour and then at the the last 15 to 20 minutes you are selling your course you're selling the online course so they get a lot of value you can answer a couple of questions like have a QA and a session and answer a couple of questions that people put in the chat box at like that and I mean, I'll tell you one of my secrets, what I do is I, I ask a couple questions, but we ask specific questions in the webinar, like, oh, how much does the program cost? Like, do we have lifetime access? Like we throw in a couple so that, and um, that way the questions are about the course, not necessarily about the topic. So it's it's putting that in people's minds. Um so from the webinar, you're sending them to the sales page. And I've had clients just run one webinar, I've had clients run four webinars, I've had one client she does a webinar on two different topics and then a third Q&A webinar and people just flock to it. So she has a big audience and people do flock to it because she provides such great information. And that's I mean that's the key that you provide great information and make sure it's the solution to what your audience wants now, the problem they're having now. And that's your open cart. So from those webinars, from that very first webinar, it's your open cart. And the next seven days, of, like seven to 10 days max of the cart being open is when you're, you can offer more webinars, but you're also emailing at least once a day. And that's when people, like they say to me, oh, but I want to overwhelm my audience. Yes, you do. They have so much in their inbox and You want your name to stay top of mind and you want them to know some, like one of the mental triggers is the fear of missing out. Like this is your last chance Buy now it'll never be that price again. You know that as seen on TV ads. So um, those kind of things. So you want to make sure you're in their inbox at least once or twice a day, every day for the the whole time the carts open. But the, the webinar just gives them a taste of what they're going to receive in the course. Like how much fantastic information they're going to receive in the course, plus they're going to have one-on-one access to the, to you, to the teacher.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've seen some great webinars, some not so good. Um, and one I've been really impressed by is Amy Porterfield, who's an expert in Facebook ads. So when it comes to then the email sequences, again, we touched on this previously, the email sequence is an automated series of emails, which again, I suppose, have the purpose of prompting people this is coming up, uh, this is what it contains, this is why it's for you, and so on. W- what is the number of emails that people should, you know, create in a sequence? And how can you do this? I'm thinking of ConvertKit, obviously, and tools like that. What's your take on that?
1: So we're going to get um, that layout, the date of what happens, when. That's why you need this time, too, because there's quite a few emails that you have to write. And there's there's different strategies for writing those emails, at, like how you want them, not the language you use per se, but the, the th- theme's not the right word I'm looking for, but there is a, the topics. there's a sequence that's the topics, but it's how you massage the people into buying your course. You don't want to sound desperate. You don't want to sound like it's, you know, you want to, you. I personally like soft sell. There's a lot of hard sell sequences. So, uh, like there's, it depends on your audience, which they're going to respond to better, but I'm more of a soft sell person. So, All those emails that come before, like where you're just sending out a weekly newsletter or just a, a, here's a quote that I like, those kind of emails, all those have to keep happening the whole time the launch is happening. But then you have that sequence of emails before you get into the pre-launch. And those are just like a survey, for instance, which I think we talked about. So if you had any question about this, what would it be? Just hit reply, that kind of thing. And then the pre-launch is the sequence where you're kind of really warming them up. So, And that's maybe like every other day or every third day until you start really promoting the webinar or the, the PLCs. And that's when you're starting to really sell the course. And it, you can still say, you can still be a soft sell, you can be a hard sell. And it, the language is just different where it's, the, the as seen on TV ads are very hard sell to me, where the soft sell is more, you tell stories, you tell... You provide testimonials. These are people that have taken the class in the past. And this is what you know what they've said. So that your user, your reader experiences if I take this class and I do the work, this is what it's going to feel like.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Stories. Yeah.
1: And then the open cart emails. Like that's about if you're open seven days, that's like seven to fourteen emails at least. So, you know, so you have to write those all ahead of time. And for me, setting up the tech, it's you're right, putting them in active campaign or putting them in convert kit, sending a test, make sure all the links work. So that you need time to do all that, to write them out and put them in the email marketing system.
0: It's a lot of work, isn't it really?
1: It is. And setting up the whole webinar, it's you know, like setting up a webinar tech wise is you schedule the webinar, but you also have to make sure the reminder emails go out uh, and that can all be done in the webinar. And then you get like the so the reminder emails, and then after the webinar, whether they get the replay or not, like I have a whole list in my project management system of all the steps. So it, it, it is a lot.
0: Well, I guess this is why people need someone like you, which is to, you know, to free them up to, to do the selling and, and then leave the system to someone that does just that. And that's what you do. Um, something else that someone said to me recently, uh, there's a website called outgrow.co, and what they do is they help people to create quizzes and assessments and calculators. and uh, I mean, there are loads of sites I could mention, but this one uh, really took my fancy because a couple of people have said to me, what really is working right now, uh, because it's still new, is the concept of, of getting people to conduct a quiz. And, and one of the reasons is, first of all, people want to find out things and often test themselves. But often that helps you as a marketer to understand what people are really thinking. So bringing people through a quiz or maybe building building a calculator which which they could use to come to a conclusion about what to do, for example, the price of something or the cost of something, that could be helpful. And um, I haven't used it yet, just a caveat to mention, but a couple of people I've known, still know, are saying to me, quizzes are really hot right now as a way to get people into funneling. So some people are a bit um, blasé or, you know, they're a bit, uh, what's the phrase, um, tired of of just pure emails. But when the email maybe contains a link to a quiz or a calculator or a poll or a form or a survey or some kind of assessment, that is different. And that sometimes is more, in, in, more likely to get uh, interaction and response from them. And of course, the information it gives you can help you in terms of your marketing effort.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you sound like you're reading their diary. They find out something about themselves that you created, like so they know that you're in their head a little bit. You, you they think that you understand what they're thinking, which is what you're trying to do. And I had one client who um, was teaching a self-care course, and she she has a um, a great sense of humor and. You know, what she said is, What are your five killers to your self care routine? And one was, I'm floundering and directionless. What self care routine? I have no routine. I'm distracted and annoyed. There are too many damn people at home right now. Sorry, I cursed. Um, I'm disoriented and confused. How do I jumpstart my self care or even start it all? And, you know, the, the other one was, um, I'm busy and preoccupied. I have too much on my plane, plate. Where do I find the time? And this was right at the beginning of coronavirus. So it's like everybody was very overwhelmed. So she was really talking to them because they're feeling, you know, like the last one was I'm discouraged and unmotivated. I can't shut up the call of Netflix chips and wine. So she, she met those people right where they were at. So they responded because they loved this humor and, you know, in a situation where like, okay, we're on shutdown now, you know, and the, and she read their minds. So
0: Yeah. And I think you've seen as well as I have, um, the introduction of polls in the last 6 months on linkedin and now so many people are using polls in not just you know posting things but asking people things through polls which of course people like to engage with it's something they can click on but of course they can in in sharing information get back information from you which helps them to understand themselves or their positions further anyway we're, we're diverting here but that's just something which i've observed recently is this growth of assessments and quizzes being used to to get people to interact with your emails and your marketing uh, information so when it comes to things like um landing pages emails sales pages and we'll not go into all of those because they're they're in depth in themselves there's a concept called split testing and i heard of this when i got used to using Leadpages.net, the idea of A B testing, split testing. What is that for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with that term?
1: So, I saw Ali um, Gardner of Unbounce talk probably about four or five years ago, and he does this really well. But what you test one thing, like, so you test, for instance, the color of a button, and there's a whole bunch of theories about what color works best. And some say don't use red because that's stop, use green because that's go. Some say use orange because that's a take action color. So that's one thing you can test and what happens And I've done it in lead pages and it's really kind of fun. So uh, when you do it, uh, when you do a split test, you'll see that, okay, the green button worked like 75 people clicked on that and only 25 people of the hundred clicked on the the red button. So then, you know, always use green buttons because that's what makes my audience take action. Um, One of the things you can split test to on is like the picture at the top of any of those pages that you mentioned. Like if you, it's a picture of you and you have straight on eye contact, does that convert better than a picture of like, so this was for my um, client that's a health coach. So a picture of the food that she might be teaching, uh, you know, the health coaches that she's training. So, um, you know, what converts better? What do they respond to better? And the, the hardest one, not the hardest one, but the biggest one to, to split test on is the text, like the title of the page, that first paragraph, you know, see what converts because you're talking like a, like above the fold. So anything, the first thing that people see, like that's the first thing to test. And what that does, you'll you'll see just what your audience responds to better.
0: Yeah, um, you're right, because you could go down the path of thinking, well, my website's done and my Facebook ads are done and my Google ads are done and I've got my copy. That's it done. Actually, that's the process just beginning because what the experts do, again, people like uh, Evan Pagan and and Jeff Walker and, and Amy Porterfield and John Lee Dumas, all of those people, they test and they test and they test. They create content. They see what works. They're perhaps not doing this themselves, but they're working with experts who can help them to understand what the statistics are showing them. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. for example, I'm running some Google ads right now, I'm working with a guy called Dan. And Dan tells me, this has worked this week. This got more clicks than this. And so the following week, we changed that a little, and then we try it again. So the concept is not A, B, C, D, E, F, G, not so many things at once you can not track them. But, you know, A, B, one and two, try that. If one wins, great, bin two. If the next time, one, two. If two wins, bin one. And so on and so on. So that's the concept of... Split testing. What about tracking spreadsheets? Now, this is of course where we get into statistics and qualitative, or sorry, quantitative data. What are we tracking, and what information do we need to track?
1: So I use spreadsheets a, a few different ways. So one thing we did. Um, one of my clients is a DOI home repair woman, and she has a son in college who's and like loves Excel, loves spreadsheets. So when we sent out a survey, like that's what I track. Like we tracked um, what the favorite. Uh, uh, classes were in her course. So she did a, there were like 10 different topics, I think of teaching home repair. So we tracked what the favorite one was and it's refinishing cabinets, like what you can do with cabinets. So that was what people were doing because they're doing it in their kitchen. They're doing it in their bathroom. So that was, and we, um, hold on, excuse me. So she's like, we also, when they answered the different surveys, he, Put up whole charts like which type of course do they like? The biggest obstacle? How do they rate their DIY skills? So we test their confidence because in teaching this course, she's also incre- increasing the confidence of these women to just you know to do their own home repair, but also in life. Like if I can do this, I can do other things too. So it's you know it builds on one thing. The other thing we track is um, from most email marketing systems, you can download your open rates, your click through rates, your um, the different rates in your email marketing system. So those things. And you can track like the title too. So what I've done for one of my clients, we bring down the title of their email and see which one's got more open rates or which times, the dates and times, that's what else. So we look at the when you send at seven o'clock in the morning as compared to three o'clock in the afternoon, as compared to nine o'clock at night, which gets the better open rates. Uh, so, that, so you know when to send Um, okay, I'm going to keep sending in the morning. I'm going to send on a Tuesday or a Thursday rather than a Friday. Those are all the things you can track in a spreadsheet. I personally, I'm an Excel junkie, so I pull things down into a spreadsheet and I look at it that way rather than look at it in in the email marketing system because it just doesn't.
0: Well, rather you than me, Denise. That's my mind of a nightmare. (laughs) It's a mountain of numbers and (laughs) pages. Yeah, and I guess this is why people outsource this kind of tech Side of things and statistical analysis to someone who loves this stuff because um, I would be stumped. I would look at spreadsheets and I go, "What is this telling me?" I have no idea. But ultimately, the data is important, right? We have to either we do it ourselves, we bring someone in who can help to decipher all this information because unless we know how well something's selling, it's it's difficult to actually make improvements.
1: Right. You have to track all the metrics. There's something. Have you heard of Hotjar?
0: I have. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's fine because you can track how people go on like your sales page, for instance.
0: Those are all the kind of hotspots on, on a page.
1: Right, exactly. And you'll see if they're not going anywhere near the button to buy, then you need to change something. So it's really important to track the metrics because you'll know exactly what you need to change or to split test on so that you can get better conversions.
0: Right. So I would imagine that most people, let's say in the West, English speaking, would look top left when they're looking at something like a magazine or a page. And then where does the eye go? What do people click on? This is part of the information of UX, UI design, which is helping people to design things that people actually engage with, I guess. That's where that's going. So again, they're all very scientific. Um, So when it comes to open cart, closed cart dates, we've touched upon that. The concept being that we have a a definite open time. We get people excited about the open time, a bit of a fanfare. Um, People often open uh, or launch bonuses at the same time so that people take action again, thinking of, of, as you said, fear of missing out or the principle of scarcity, which is one of the principles from Dr. Robert Cialdini's work, the, the psychology of persuasion. So when people feel something's about to be taken away from them, they, the brain almost values that thing more. So having a closed cart date, uh, some people have timers, which they put on their web pages. I'm thinking of people like David Seitman Garland, who, um, he's quite a fan of, of you know, a big clock on the screen, which tells you, you know, you've got three minutes left. And what many course creators say, have told me, is that that's often when people take action is just about, you know, midnight, it's <laughs> it's about to close. And that's what people see huge um, increase in sales because those final emails get people to take action and the the principle of scarcity that, you know, ever present clock telling people, they're about to run out of time. That often is what convinces people to take action. So the close date, the close time is crucial. And you have to you have to keep your word. If, if you give people the ability to buy post-close, um, it's as if people don't trust you anymore after that because they think, well, you know what? You don't really mean what you're saying. You've closed the cart, yet I can still buy. And that's, I think, a temptation for many people is, why don't I keep this open one more day? in your experience, how important is it to, to literally close when you say you'll close?
1: Like you said, I think it's important to close, like to actually close when you say you're closed, because then you can move forward instead of having somebody come in tech wise. Now I'm speaking in the background of all the tech. If somebody comes in after the closed cart, like you, you can make it work, but it's like, okay, I have to do this, make sure they get this tag or make sure they, I have to do a couple things manually that, cause they came in after the closed dart, closed cart. And, um, I think, like you said, it's, you're keeping your word. You're saying, this is it. Um, I've set the date. I've set a boundary. And I'm not going to let you cross that boundary. Because if you let them cross that boundary, then they're going to try to do it in the future. Saying, oh, I took this other course. Can I take your second course and maybe get a discount? Because I was a previous student. Like, it it kind of cascades. So I'm more of a firm boundary type of person. But one of my clients wasn't. And she did have a couple people that would trickle in. So she got more sales.
0: I think just think there's a risk of people then not taking your closed gate uh, seriously next time so final thing um before we wrap up then post launch conversation and adjustment i guess this is where with with your insight into what's working how it's working how well it's worked you can give your clients then some information which helps them to to adjust to reconfigure what they've done just talk to us about what's involved in that process
1: so after a launch if you go back and you look like i said like the different emails what like which ones worked which ones didn't work you can um, then you can change the copy change whether it has pictures or or doesn't have pictures cuz that will affect open rates you can also go back and look at the sales page you know when you go into google analytics you can see how many people visited the sales page and if you have and i'm just using easy numbers 100 people visiting the sales page but only five converted. And if you have a bigger number, that's a big difference. Like if it's a thousand people visiting and only five converted, then there's a problem with the sales page. And the landing page, if you had a thousand people visiting your webinar page and only 10 signed up, then there's a problem with the webinar sign-up page, whether it's the copy or something. So you have to go back and look at that because then when you launch again, if you change that, do you have better numbers? Then you can see, okay, we're improving. And you can also... When you're off, when you're launching the cor- when you're offering the course, and you survey your students, and you find out like what they liked, what they didn't liked, and what they wish had been in the course. So I wish you had talked about topic C also. And if you add that little bit extra, topic C to your course, it improves the value of your course and could increase your sales the next time. So it's you have to look at all those things, make all the adjustments. For when you launch again. So, you need time to do that.
0: So, this is where having a survey will help. So, it's it's contacting people and saying, you bought, or maybe you didn't buy. Why didn't you buy? But it's having that dialogue and understanding what prompted people to buy, perhaps what prompted people, excuse me, why people took so long to buy in some instances. People have prevaricated and delayed until the final moments what it's understanding what's in their minds, what what got them to either pass on your offer this time, which is a separate conversation in itself. How do we bring people back and remarket to them? But when people have bought and are willing to share with you information about why they bought, what prompted them to buy, that's super valuable because you can then apply this to your next launch and, and improve and improve. And I guess then you can say, I now have this tied down or pat down, I can now make this evergreen.
1: Right, exactly. Once you've launched a few times, then it can become evergreen. You can still do live coaching calls, uh, you know, because you can watch their progress through the online course. And so you still have engagement with the people, but it's less hands-on for you. So you have more passive income, which is, I think, the goal of a lot of entrepreneurs, like, how can I scale? So, and passive income is the way to do that. So,
0: So that's it. I think we've covered lots today. We've covered uh, setting up the online course. We've covered marketing your online course. And today we've covered the process of launching your online course. Any final thoughts for people who are sitting on the fence about designing a course, marketing their course and launching their course to sell their course? What would you say to them, Denise?
1: Just do it. It's, you know, it's really scary. And I'm speaking to myself here too, but it's scary because who's going to buy, like, you know, a lot of people, they don't have the confidence to do it because it is so very overwhelming with all the tech and, you know, all the the complicated steps behind it. But if you just do it, um, you'll see what happens the first time and then you can improve and get better. And it might take like three, four, five launches to really be successful, but you get the experience for each launch. And- like it can become something because the people are out there that need what you're offering and you're the person to teach them. So, And they, they need you. They don't need somebody else that teaches the same thing. So just do it.
0: Yeah, I like that the way you've wrapped that up, which is there are people out there who need what you know and need what you can teach them. Um, you've just got to do it because you're almost denying them. You're almost being selfish by denying them what help they need right now from someone just like you. And the way you do it is not necessarily the way other people do it. There are billions of people in this world. There are more than likely enough people out there to buy your course to make it worthwhile doing. So you'll never know unless you try it. Denise, it's been wonderful having you for three episodes now. Thank you so much for your insight. It's been my pleasure and uh, we'll keep in touch.
1: Absolutely. Have a great day.
0: Thanks to Denise Whiteley for being our guest for the third time on the subject of course creation, course design, marketing courses, and of course, launching courses. And you can check out her services on denisewhitely.com. That's D-E-N-I-C-E-W-H-I-T-E-L-E-Y.com for more details. And thanks, of course, to you for your time today. Plenty of great podcasts out there. And I'm very grateful that you have chosen to spend time listening to this one. And for that reason... I'd like you to keep on suggesting topics and guests who can help you on your training business journey. My email address is mark at I read my emails and reply personally, and I treat everything that's sent to me discreetly. If you have any suggestions or critique, I would welcome that too. I'm all the time looking for suggestions. And the last, out of the last 10 episodes, I think at least six of them were suggestions in terms of topics and guests from listeners to the show. And I really would like you to suggest the kinds of people, books, authors, um, just names and, and topics that could help you because this show is from me to you, for you and for other people out there in the training business community. Please subscribe to the podcast and you'll find episodes of the show every Thursday on a range of platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. There are many, many platforms out there where you can find episodes of the show, but whatever that one is for you, please subscribe, and you'll find an episode, a fresh episode, every single Thursday morning waiting for you. But until next time, look after yourself, take care, and see you next week. Bye for now.